Hello, the Adrian Newey bot here. When I design a Formula 1 car, I go to great lengths to make sure that it complies with all the regulations, before, and, after the race, to the engineer who failed to make sure the wooden skid block underneath Lewis's Mercedes, and Leclerc's Ferrari, weren't worn away too much by a low ride height, I have just one thing to say, you complete and utter, plank. Welcome to Gareth Jones on speed. I'm Gareth and I've got a bit of a cold you can probably hear but probably sounding far clearer than me are Sarah Leach. Hi, how are you doing? Well, a bit bunged up and apart from that, okay. And Zogger. Hey, hey. Now, did you two discover this rather shocking news that Hamilton and Leclerc have been disqualified from the results of the Austin Grand Prix. Did you hear this morning when you wake up or did you find out before you went to bed last night? Zog? When I got up, I was doing a quick media catch-up whilst fixing my coffee and toast, as one does. And yeah, blimey, that was a shocker. But at the same time, it's yeah a bit disappointing. And well, it's very disappointing if you're Mercedes in particular. The teams don't like to lose points, which in the end bring them prizes money-wise. Maybe it matters a bit less to... Hamilton, because the thing is, it was still a great race for Hamilton. Now, he was challenging Verstappen for the win. If that race had gone on a little bit longer, he might well have taken him. And from where we were at the start of the season, you know, to see Hamilton and Mercedes being that competitive with Red Bull, that's what we want to see on a sporting level. And just as fans, it was great to see, you know, a rather better race than we've had, a rather more competitive race than a lot of this season has been. Sarah, do you think that these penalties and disqualifications that emerge hours after the race spoil the sport for us fans? Well, it's arguable because other sports do the same thing in terms of, I guess, when athletes are drug tested, for example, after a race. So I would have thought that, yeah, let's get all the engines and all the teams should be checked for compliance ahead of the race. But as we've learnt, <laughs> that things can change between race and the end of the race. And in terms of even what is um, like horse racing and boxing, you know, once they get weighed in, they can make all sorts of changes, can't they? you know, before the actual beginning. Sarah, you're a, a big general sports fan. You watch a much broader range of sports, yeah. I think, than Zog and I do. <laughs> Try to. Have you been watching the Rugby World Cup? I have been, yes. Yeah. Did you watch the game on Saturday night? I'm afraid I did, yes. I'm afraid I did, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I tell you what, England did very well. They, they did everything they did to win because they worked out how to play to South Africa's weaknesses. Sorry, we're not talking about rugby, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame it, England didn't win because they deserved to, but I did like to enjoy seeing South Africa win. So anyway. As a Welshman, I'm shouting for the Transvaal. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> the point I was trying to make was that in rugby, there have been a few arguable decisions by referees in the Rugby World Cup, but they haven't gone back and changed the results afterwards. They say, oh no, the decision is final. And I think that makes the sport a bit healthier. What happened, happened. 
even though there's an arguable case for, well, it should have gone the other way. I'm talking specifically about, forget which game it was now, but one of the England games where it was said that the the referee actually helped the team beat England. So anyway, let's come back to Formula One. Back to Formula Mm. One. The reason that Hamilton and Leclerc were disqualified from the race was because of an infringement on the depth of their plank. Now, the plank is underneath the car to govern or measure how low the teams run the car. And it was deemed that there was excessive plank wear. Therefore, Mercedes were running Hamilton's car, not George's car, Hamilton's car, too low, which could argue, well, that's where his pace came from. Now, they weren't cheating as such, were they, Zog? But how did Mercedes find themselves in this position? Well, presumably they just hadn't got their setup for the race quite right, clearly, because if you're running the car low enough that you're getting disqualified for plank wear, you have got your setup wrong. So maybe that has to do with it being sprint weekend and that maybe giving them not as much time to fine tune things. But it is, I mean, on the face of it, it's quite a big screw up really by the team that they lost points for second place in a race because of a setup mistake. Uh, now, I mean, I, I, I'm saying this, you know, we don't have any more detail as we're recording this actually about you know, exactly what it was. You know, I suppose it, it's conceivable that we, you could only think of some scenario into which something unforeseen maybe led to that excessive wear. But it was most likely simply that they just didn't have the setup quite right. They were running the car a little bit too low. As a rule, you sort of push everything that you can push as far as you can, you know, to within that acceptable limit, to within your margin of error. And maybe they had their margin of error wrong, maybe. We got the entertainment as fans on the Sunday. The team threw away points that they will miss. I think you're right, Zog, about the sprint weekend being a factor in this. Toto Wolf said as much that having so little running, uh, like an hour's running before they start the sprint shootout and what have you, meant that they hadn't got their ride height right. So, yeah, they weren't cheating. They just messed up. But so did Ferrari. Leclerc was disqualified as Mm. well, which is disappointing because the Ferraris are in good shape, I think. Not as good a shape as Mercedes or even the McLarens right now. But we need a good and strong Ferrari in Formula 1 for the health of a sport, in my opinion. Yeah, we do. But it's a little bit of a shame that, again, it's a disappointing weekend for Ferrari. You know, uh, Leclerc started on pole and ended up the weekend. And even without the disqualification, you know, he wasn't on the podium. So Ferrari are definitely getting a could do better on their report card, I think. I was only talking to my dad about that this morning, about Ferrari and how Ferrari have sort of not quite been in the top two for a few years now because they had that sort of stellar time period where they were very dominant. But, you know, it's a shame that even McLaren is starting to outperform Ferrari. Yeah. So, Yeah, McLaren are looking mm. really sharp at the moment. Just on the disqualification thing, do you two know when the last time a car was disqualified for excessive plank wear? Any guesses? Uh, I'm not going to guess, but there have certainly been penalties for plank wear in the last couple of years. Disqualified? Um, 2010. I don't know. Okay. 
Sarah, do you have any memory of cars being disqualified for plank in your head? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to look it up. And according to Bing's AI, no, I don't know how verifiable this is, the most recent case of a plank disqualification was the Belgian Grand Prix in 1994 Ooh. when uh, Schumacher in a Benetton was disqualified for an excessively warm plank. Mm-hmm. He'd spun out at the curb at Pujol, and that carved a pattern into the plank, but the FAA deemed that was not the cause of excessive wear. It was a more general wear than that scoop that was caused out. So it's kind of unusual. And it's interesting that the sprint weekend throws up these variables. The sprint race this weekend was basically the team's chance to work out how long their tyres were going to last in the... Grand Prix, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess. But it, if it helped them in that area, it, it clearly wasn't helping Mercedes and Ferrari in other preparation areas. I find the sprint weekend great because there's loads of motor racing over the weekend, but also a bit frustrating because there's a little bit too much motorsport over the weekend. And by the end of Sunday, I can't remember what happened in the sprint race or whether it was the Grand Prix. Are you a fan of the Sprint Weekend, Sarah? The Sprint Weekend, it is a lot of racing. It's a lot of racing for the actual drivers. And for the viewer, I think there's a lot of racing. But I think for the people at the race, like the actual fans that have gone and bought themselves you know, grandstand tickets and they're there all weekend. I feel like they will be getting a lot more bang for their buck, so to speak, because there'll be more racing to watch for them. It means that they just don't go to the Grand Prix on the Saturday and watch the qualifying. They get to go to the Grand Prix on the Saturday, they get the shootout, then they get the sprint race and they turn up on the Sunday and then they get the full race too. And then on the Friday, it's the qualifying for the Grand Prix on Sunday. So they do get great value for, I guess, their racing ticket as a spectator when you're there. But then when you're viewing it, watching the sprint race, and you know you're used to just having this weekend of the qualifying Saturday and the race on Sunday just like you're watching you know the rugby at the weekend there's just that one fixture so it's arguable but I can understand why they do do it but that's my long-winded answer to your question it's the right answer I think I think it is probably much better for the punters at the race than it is for those of us at home trying to remember what goes on at the weekend Um, just as a recap I had to look this up the, the result of the sprint race Max pulled away from Lewis to win the race. Lewis was second, Leclerc third. And, well, that was the last time we saw Lewis and Leclerc appearing in the results of the whole weekend. Oh, that's sad. I enjoyed the weekend. Have you noticed all the new graphics, by the way, that they have? I noticed during one of the races, I think it was a sprint, that we had a new graphic which showed the battery recharge level. George was chasing science and it was showing how George was recharging his hybrid electrical system, whereas science was using up all the power in his electrical system. And that was kind of interesting. It gives you a tactical view of the race. Also, I really enjoyed watching Ted Kravitz, our mate Ted, do interviews with punters at the Austin race. Yes. Some Americans who, you saw that, yeah, yeah? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was really good interaction. And it's interesting, it sort of says something about the reach of F1 that Ted Kravitz was being recognised 
and asked for autographs as much as he was. I don't think I can remember him being asked for an autograph during any previous wander around paddock or anywhere Yeah, during one of his notebooks. I loved it when he was talking to a family who I think had come down from Massachusetts, I think they said, all the way down to Texas. And they said, oh, we love Formula One. We, uh, we love coming to Austin, but, you know, we wouldn't take our kids to Las Vegas. Yeah. And the idea that mm. Austin is the wholesome, family-oriented Formula One race is quite fascinating. And that Las Vegas, your hometown's on, it's oh, yes. <laughs> a bit sort of corrupt and naughty. <laughs> I won't hear a word <laughs> said against my lovely Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but Austin is a little uh, kid-friendlier a lot of the time. That's probably true. But what, yeah... Oh, you know, I can't wait for a race in Vegas. That will be something. That will be a hell of a show. We've got to wait. We've got the Mexican Grand Prix before that. I just want to go back to the results of the Grand Prix at Austin rather than the sprints, because the way it played out after the disqualification, Max wins, Norris second, Sainz third, Perez fourth. He'll be happy with that. George Russell fifth. George will be happy with that as well. A first decent result for George. Actually, that's not quite true. George has had a tricky couple of weekends, but has displayed loads of speed and a couple of errors. Gasly came fifth in Alpine. Now, on Alpine, how many celebrities own Alpine now? All of them. <laughs> quite a lot. And when did they put Alpine up for shares then? I mean, when did all this happen? In the last... Oh, two months, certainly six weeks. I know that Ryan oh. Reynolds and Rob McElhenney had bought, oh, yeah. yes. I think, 20% of the team between them. And on the back of that, a consortium of people I've never heard of, I have to say, but celebrities from the world of sport, movie and entertainment have bought, they've raised the value of the team to 800 million. Is that right? How much of a change in the value is that, though? What was it? Well, a few years ago, there was talk of Alpine slash Renault slash Lotus slash Benetton, whatever they were called that week. There was talk of them going bankrupt and leaving the sport. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. But, no, but my question was, you know, if the recent strategy of getting celebs on board and getting other high-profile sports stars and celebrities to invest in Alpine, if that's been a success in boosting the value of the team, I'm just wondering, how much is that boost? How much has that increase their value just you know out of idle interest it's kind of you know because you know in the end you know i don't really care how much the alpine team is worth you know yeah 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 it's a lot more interesting just as a fan whether some high profile sports people have bought into this team than it is to know what the team is actually worth but as you were saying as well as the actors you mentioned there i think joshua jackson who martin bundle was interviewing at one point over the weekend has invested in the team and rory mcelroy a golfer is invested as well so it's a kind of a nice bit of fairy dust i think if you're a fan it doesn't tremendously i think change how we feel about a team if we're already invested in the sport. I think it does make Alpine a more interesting team, for sure. And it will definitely do them good in terms of, you know, the kind of broad outreach and, you know, just trying to extend their awareness in non-F1 fans or casual fans. Yeah, no, I'm glad it's working out for them. It seems a bit odd that they've bought into Alpine. You'd have thought that Haas would have been a better bet being an American team because the majority of these investors are 
North Americans, or in the case of Rory McElroy, a Northern Irishman who has more of an American accent than a Northern Irish accent these days. Does he live in America now, do you think? Uh, oh, actually, you remind, I've got an accent question for you in a moment, Gareth. You just reminded me. OK. But Rory McElroy, uh, no idea. I have zero interest in golf. I can't tell you anything about golf, except that it's really boring. The only thing I know about golf is it's a Scottish game, and that is about it, okay, really. Right. And that my mate Bobby used to play it as much as I love Bobby when he used to come round my place and tell me, how many swings or whatever shots he'd done in a day. I, I, I don't need to know this. Please don't tell me. Is that good or bad? Is that a good number? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I have no reference. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, but Alpine, I don't know how it works. But if Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds connections to the Alpine team mean that they get Wrexham Lager sponsorship on the car now, I might be tempted to support Alpine. Although, are you allowed to advertise beer on cars these days? Uh, you know that. Well, probably no idea. Probably not. You're probably yeah. you're you're probably not allowed any alcohol advertising. I don't. I, I don't know. Maybe not. No, the Johnny Walker was on Claren mm. a couple of years ago. The uh, Agio had Johnny Walker. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm, good well, I think Budweiser. I think is it Budweiser or Heineken are one of the major sponsors of Red Bull or one of the team Heineken. Heineken, but they advertise their zero alcohol beer. Don't well, there they? you go. So mm. probably not. I mean, yeah, you can't advertise cigarettes on cars anymore, can you? Unfortunately. No. Yeah, no. They, they should bring it back. I, I, <laughs> just because the deliveries look so good. But to make the cars look more retro. But yeah, since you mentioned accents, Gareth, things... Lando Norris. Yeah. Break down his accent. Right, well, first of all, when you hear it, you know, he's a, you can hear a bit of what sounds like South African in there when he's talking you listen to him and the reason is his mother is apparently a belgian and she's clearly been an influence on how he speaks Hmm. he sounds slightly germanic teutonic it's certainly a very strange version of a a british accent and it's becoming more pronounced this is what i'm noticing it's interesting you say those things because that kind of lines up with what i because i've been trying to figure out how i would describe his accent because it's yeah he has you know on one level a Fairly sort of base level southeast English accent, yeah. uh, middle class kid, southeast England. But there's a definite sort of a slightly vague that I couldn't place European mainland thing in there. And yes, exactly like what sounded like a bit of Australian or South African. So yeah, yeah so yeah. so you're saying that it's probably from his mother, who's Belgian. That would sort of South African Belgian. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense if his accent interesting because you're tremendously good at accents and uh, <laughs> particularly accents within the UK. We might just say you're yeah, that, that good is at, my specialist area. Out, uh, which street in Leeds somebody clearly grew up on? Thank you. That's high praise. Yeah, well, the origins of the South African accents are you know Dutch, Belgian. And German, yeah. it's the Boers that give it that sort of uh, that's the sort of thing you can hear. It's slightly German or slightly South African, and that's what's brimming out of Lando at the moment, which is weird. All right, yeah. listen. While we're talking about the Commonwealth, I'm not going to call it that. Sarah, Danny Rick's back after missing five races with a broken hand. In your unbiased Australian opinion, <laughs> how did he do? My unbiased Australian opinion. What, you asking me how I think he went over the weekend? 
Well, he admitted to himself and to obviously the public that he is a bit race rusty despite all his years of experience. So he hasn't been on the track for a while and not only in the last five weeks but this year in general. So his performance, I think, could have been better in his own eyes. And so I think he was sort of last in the Grand Prix in the 15th after all the disqualifications and the non-finishes. And then in the sprint race, he came in 12th. So the sprint race, he went a lot better than the actual race. But he's improving and we'll see him next year. He's definitely going to be on the grid next year. I think he does add a lot to the Formula One, not just as an actual racing driver. So he brings quite a lot to the sport, I think. So they enjoy having him there, I think. So hopefully there's a few more years left in him. But there are a few other Australians on the track too now. Yeah, so. Oh, yeah, they are queuing up Mm. to replace any gap in the grid at the moment aren't they Liam Lawson of course New Zealander is absolutely bloody marvellous and in my opinion I would put him rather than Danny Rick either in the Alpha Tauri or whatever it's going to be called next year or even replacing Perez in the Red Bull next year Sonoda outperformed Danny Rick in the Grand Prix. Sonoda finished eighth Mm. after the disqualifications, which he'll be very, very happy about. Yeah, I love Danny Rick. Don't get me wrong. I love him. He's a fab bloke and historically a great overtaker. But it's been a long time since we've seen him drive like that. I know he hasn't been in the right car to deliver, Mm. but, you know, Norris managed to make the McLaren work when Danny Rick couldn't. Sonoda, well... He's still a young driver and he's outperforming Danny Rick. Is that right? Well, you're saying he's outperforming. I think, you know, you're talking about, you know, one session there. I mean, yeah, uh, Sonoda beat Ricardo in the race, but I think Ricardo was ahead of Sonoda in every other session over the weekend, I think. You might be right. Maybe not everyone, but I think, as I recall, Ricardo still definitely had the measure of Sonoda over the weekend. But yeah, much as I love Danny Rick, he doesn't have much time left this season to prove that he's really still got it and that he really still deserves a seat. As you say, I mean, Piastri has been really impressive this year. Lawson, in just a couple of races, tremendously impressive. So there's a lot of competition. And, yeah, it touch and go whether Ricardo has, I think, really, so far this year, cemented his place in the sport going forward. Well, yeah, time will tell. We will find out in the results to come. Hello, the Adrian Newybot here, with some important news. When I'm not designing championship winning rocket ships, I like to listen to Gareth Jones on speed in a number of ways. On the bus, on the train, in the car, in bed, and even in the bath. But now, there is a new way to listen to Gareth Jones on speed, on YouTube. Wait, what? You thought YouTube was for video, well it still is, but it does music and other audio too. The reason this is happening is that Google Podcasts is closing down and Google are moving all their podcasts to YouTube. So, if you get your fortnightly dose of Gareth Jones on speed from Google Podcasts, soon that will come to an end. The solution is to subscribe to On Speed now on YouTube. Just search Gareth Jones on Speed Podcast on YouTube. Every episode from 2015 forward is now available. And the entire back catalogue, all the way to episode 1 in 2005 is currently being uploaded. I'm going to be listening. So, be smart. Like me the Adrian Newey bot. Listen to Gareth Jones on speed on YouTube.
Otherwise I will come round your house and perform computational fluid dynamics on your pathetic human ass. And you don't want that to happen. So subscribe now. It's hard to keep up with Formula One when there's so much racing over the weekend, the sprint race and the Grand Prix. But there was lots of other stuff going on as well, little detail stuff, which I rather enjoyed. Did you two notice that there were three cars running with special liveries at the Austin US Grand Prix? No. Uh, well, Verstappen had a special American livery, which was a good look. Are you counting... Lando's helmet, another cracking Lando Norris helmet design. I hadn't thought of that, no. Uh, what were the other liveries? Uh, oh. I'll tell you. Did Williams have a yeah. special one? Williams yeah, had Williams a ruddy did. great stars and stripes That's on right. their air intake, ah. which looked amazing. But I have to say, Frank Williams, would he be turning in his grave? Williams have always been such a... Yeah, international, but very British team. And seeing the US flag on a Williams is kind of, oh, it's slightly sacrilegious. I don't know. I think, I, I tell you what, I think I think if Frank Williams knew that it was going to help his team out financially, he'd be okay with it. I, I think, Fair I, enough. I think yeah. so. Uh, I think that's a good answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was pretty ruthless. He didn't care whatever it took to win, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was very focused on, uh, <laughs> you know, making his team win. Yeah. The third one was Haas, apparently. Haas had a special livery at the race. I couldn't quite work out what was special about it. Can't say I noticed that. Yeah. It wasn't very special then, was it? I didn't notice Haas all that much during the race. So maybe that was part of it. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Just while we're talking about the cars, the floor that Mercedes introduced their second major upgrade for the season after they got rid of their zero sidepod idea. I was looking, studying the edge of the floor on the new Mercedes. Man alive, that is a complicated bit of moulding and, and engineering and design. It had all sorts of lumps and bumps, and it looked like bites had been taken out of the edge of the car by a thousand piranha and then the odd hammerhead shark or something. Very curious. I'm pretty sure that Mercedes learnt an enormous amount from that accidental peak that they got of the underside of the Red Bull car when it was hoiked over the barriers in, was it Monaco, that we everyone saw the underside? And clearly... Mercedes thought, right, well, we can do what Red Bull are doing on the underside or something like that and see how that works. And it has benefited them because the new Mercedes is a much quicker car than it had been. Hooray for that. As is the McLaren. Actually, the McLaren couldn't have been any slower than the car that started the season, could it? It was pathetic. Yeah, as you say, no, both those, the McLaren and Mercedes have both made great strides. And yeah, it's great to see they're getting up to the sharp end again. Quick question, actually, for both of you, slight sidestep. But as we're talking about McLaren, for one thing, Norris and Russell, I was having to think about this over the weekend. Um, and I think that they're a very interesting pairing because they're two young British drivers, same generation, both tremendous young talents, uh, and they seem to be good mates, have a, a good relationship. They are both tremendous drivers. I'm sure at least one of them is going to win more than one world championship. But my question for both of you would be, which of them is going to win a championship first? Ooh. 
And related, as we've now got past this point in the season where Verstappen has won his championship, Red mm-hmm. Bull's won the Constructors' Championship, who will be the next driver who isn't Verstappen to win a world championship? Who's going to be the next one? That's a very uh, good question. If, uh, wow. Yeah. Sarah, any ideas? No. Don't say Danny Rick, otherwise it'll give away that you're slightly biased. You answer those two questions in either order, which, whichever. Uh, All right. Give you like. Sarah, you go first. Well, I don't think it's going to be Danny Rick. I don't think he'll win a world championship. <laughs> Not on the car he's in anyway. I do think that McLaren are improving. I think Lando Norris would be a good shout. But then Oscar Piastri, he may win a world title, but you don't know. There's some really good drivers in there. And if Mercedes managed to sort themselves out, you know, George Russell has a long future. I mean, I think Hamilton will stay in there for as long as it takes, but it seems that Red Bull will dominate for a little while, but there is some... I can't answer this question. It's too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard one. That's good. That's okay. It's it's okay to not be able to give a simple answer to a difficult question. It's it's perfectly okay. So, I don't know. Who do you you think will be the next world champion after Max Verstappen, Gareth? I'm going to reason it out in real time. Let me think about this. First of all, who's going to win a championship first? Will it be Norris or... George, gosh, it is hard to say, isn't it? It is, isn't it? No, Um, it's really, it's really, (laughs) it's really tough. On present data, on performance up to now, I think I'm going to say Norris for two reasons. Yeah, I'd say Norris. As long as George is racing against Lewis, I mean, George is very, very, very good, but I think Lewis is more likely to win the championship before George does, so that eliminates him. But whether it will be Norris or George, it could be Norris at Windsor Championship before Lewis because two things. Number one, McLaren's development has been exemplary this year and it shows that they're on a trajectory to aim for the top, right? Norris hasn't even won a race yet, right? George has won a sprint. George has won a Grand Prix. So I think it could be Norris for two reasons. Number one, McLaren in good shape. And number two, rumours abound that Red Bull want Norris. That's interesting. Now, Red Bull are not messing about. And if you put Norris in that Red Bull car, could he outperform his mate Verstappen? We don't know. We don't know. But I think Norris makes fewer mistakes than George. George has had a couple of shockers here and there. When was the last time Norris made a mistake? I can think of one, but only one small one. So, my answer is, next one to win a championship would be Norris rather than George. Who else is going to win a championship before Max? I put money on Lewis. Yeah. Okay, good. Interesting. I started to think that way, but I didn't really articulate myself well. It's really hard. I would say Norris ahead of George Russell, that's for sure. And I do think Lewis Hamilton's still very hungry. Yeah, yeah. Lewis has definitely got the ability to do it. He just hasn't got the car. Put the car under him. And he'll deliver. The next couple of years are probably really kind of critical for kind of both these questions. Because, yeah, I agree that having Russell and Hamilton in the same team makes it harder for Russell to get a championship. Because at the same time that 
clearly one of those two drivers is at the start of his career and the other is you know approaching its end and Hamilton probably doesn't have more than a couple of years I mean I say a couple you know could be three or four when he will still be able to win championships I think after that it will probably be trickier for him and you know it's going to be that much harder to keep up with the younger talents yeah so it's going to be tricky for Russell for the next couple of years in that sense and between Norris and Russell I probably slightly favour Norris by a whisker to be more likely to win and they're both so talented but I think Norris does have a bit of an edge I think I think he's a little bit quicker I'm inclined to agree yeah a little bit more consistent maybe because the only direct comparison we can make would arguably be when Norris and George were both in F2 together and George won the championship but I think Norris did he finish second but could well have beaten George if he hadn't had the most terrible reliability that year because whenever his car did work Norris finished better than George but George finished consistently you know he's reliable he's like your school SWAT isn't he George he generally won't let you down you know he's a good lad he does all the work he works very hard he's a very yeah tremendous yeah yeah, great great uh, work effort I think Norris is more like Max naturally gifted just instantly quick and these are the people that win races aren't they but you know who the saviour of Lewis's career will be over the next three years uh alonso how so oh yeah how so (laughs) (laughs) because alonso being the age he is and being so fiercely competitive Mm. swings the bias in formula one away from your 19 and 20 year old kids who are miraculously quick and proves up us older guys, and as a 62-year-old, I consider myself an older guy, that we can still deliver at a very high level as well, right? And if Alonso had come back and had failed miserably, Toto would be looking at Lewis and thinking, well, you know, he's almost past his sell-by date, like Ricardo. But the fact that Alonso gives it loads gives you hope for older guys. I think Lewis will get a year extension to his contract beyond the one he's got at the moment and it all depends on how good the car is if they come out with a decent car next year Mercedes or then you know Lewis will stick around for another couple of years and if he realizes he's going backwards he'll bail and go and make movies or buy a Formula One team yeah that sounds about right poor Alonso they had a miserable weekend in Aston Martin, didn't they? Yeah, it's a shame. And what you say about Alonso kind of raising the bar for what you expect of older drivers, you're absolutely true. I'm a huge fan of Alonso 2.0. Absolutely fantastic. He's racing. He's getting so much out of that car. And, you know, whereas, honestly, I didn't really like Alonso, you know, in the first iteration of his career. I love new model Alonso. Big fan. But this actually reminds me of something else. Stroll in the last couple of races, particularly uh, last year, I've rarely seen a driver looking so miserable, so unhappy to be there as Lance Stroll. Yeah. I mean, is he going to hang around much longer? (laughs) He really wasn't enjoying his racing life, was he? I think Daddy Stroll, Lawrence, has created a possible exit strategy for Lance in the partnership between Aston Martin and Heart of Race to enter the Valkyrie in the WEC. And I rather suggest, rather than sack his son, Lawrence will say, oh, well, you know, we're giving Lance an opportunity to bring his Formula One skills to the WEC and we'll race in the WEC. I think I wouldn't put it past him, that being an option, because Lawrence Stroll is a... 
very wealthy man <laughs> and he doesn't want to embarrass his son and this might be an exit clause yeah I mean I've never been a fan of Lance Stroll he comes across as a bit grumpy and petulant to me but he's a pretty good driver I think he's a much better driver than we attribute to him and the only reason that he's looking rubbish at the moment is he's up against a resurgent Alonso who is really hard to beat even Lewis Hamilton struggled with Alonso when they were in the same car at McLaren so no wonder Lance is feeling a bit hard done to yeah I agree he's a better driver than he's often given credit for Sarah do you like Lance Stroll well I don't really know him because he's sort of very much in the background where and he doesn't really get much media attention does he maybe because he is a bit sort of Vanilla, I guess. I haven't really sort of noticed a grumpy side of him, but then I've not really noticed a hugely happy side of him <laughs> either. So I don't really feel like I have a valid reason to comment. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to some other stuff. I want to talk about something else I noticed over the weekend. During the Grand Prix, we saw pictures of people in the garages and the camera picked out a driver in the McLaren garage called Bianca... Bustamante. Bustamante. Bustamante, which I love that Bustamante. It's like Buster Groove, Bustamante. It's a cool name. And Tycho, we were watching the race together when he spotted it and said, wow, she's the best looking driver I've ever seen in Formula One. I said, yeah, but you, you don't remember Davina Galitza or Lella Lombardi. They were all beautiful women, weren't they? But Tycho said, yeah, but... This one looks like a model, and she really does. She's a development driver for McLaren. Oh, yeah. And there were lots of women at Austin over the weekend because the F1 Academy, the new alternative W Series thing that Formula One and the FIA have invested in, was good entertainment. There was some great stuff going on there. I kind of struggle because the cars that they're driving are effectively tatus Formula 4 cars and for me my low bar is Formula 3. I will watch Formula 3 but I'm more interested Mm. in Formula 2 and international motorsport. Formula 3 is generally national motorsport or regional motorsport but not truly international and the cars are a little droney for me. They've got four cylinder engines that go rather and it takes away a bit of the drama Mm. but of course you need a car that is less exciting for drivers who are making their way up through the ladder of development. But I love the fact that we have a women's race series. I don't care if it's W Series. I don't care if it's called the F1 Academy. It's really important that we have young women coming into motorsport. And the one that got my attention was the one who won the second of the three rounds of the F1 Academy over the weekend. Her name is Hamda... Al Kubaisi. She won the second race, like I said. And when she was being interviewed by Naomi Schiff after the race, she could hear whooping and hollering coming from the stands. It's Texas after all. Like, woo, yeah, woo. But more than that, I could hear some ululating. 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 Yeah. Ululating. You say ululating, is that correct? Isn't it, isn't it ululating? I think, I think you're right, Zog. My knowledge of English is poor. I would say ululating, but I you're mean, right. I think it is ululating. But which is... That sound. Right. Interesting. Now, I was curious as to why I was hearing this. Were the Dothraki 
from Game of Thrones in the audience because hmm. they ululate or ululate. Could it be that in the stands we had people from the Alabama Coshatta tribes of Texas, one of the Native American nations in Texas, or the Kickapoo, they're in Texas as well, or the Isleta del Sur Pueblo, or I think the Comanche, I think they're also in Texas. And they all ululate. But it turns out... The clues in the name. Hamda al Kubaisi is Emirati. Emirati. Yeah. yeah, she's from the uh, UAE. Yeah, yeah, she's in Emirati. So maybe it was an Arab figure of support. Maybe. Mm. I've interviewed her before a couple of years ago. Did you? Yeah, she was a... What for? She, I was randomly doing some work for... Uh, I was working for a newspaper, a local to the Emirati. It was for a newspaper story, and um, I just did a profile on her. But she was racing for Prema. And she's sort of... She's still racing for Prima. Yeah, it's, yeah, I say so. But she's been quite keen on developing her racing for a long time. So I think it was her father or her uncle that's also a very good driver. So it's sort of in her family. And her sister is also a driver, isn't she? Yes, Amna, who is yeah. 22, I think. I think Hamda is... 20 or 21 they're very close in age a bit like my two boys within 15 months mm. of each other about the same age as these two and yeah she races against her sister and always tries to beat her which is of course beautiful beautiful but the thing that struck me about her was she's tiny she is the smallest person i have ever seen in a pit lane because she was being interviewed by Naomi schiff who has stature and Danica Patrick, who herself is really small, is on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, and, and she was quite slight compared to uh, yeah. uh, to Danica. You're right. You know Absolutely. that thing Zoggy, Father Ted, where Father Ted is explaining the difference between near and large and far away and small. It looked like Hamda was just much further away. <laughs> Far away and large, or nearby and very small. Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I only caught the end of the F1 Academy. It was the Spanish driver, Garcia, who won the F1 Academy Championship. Hamda won a race. Marta got the championship. In other news, just very quickly, I came across a little item that I wondered if you'd seen this, Gareth, but I figured it would be of interest. Did you read this item about possible road building on the moon? Proposals for how you might build roads on the moon? No, I didn't. Let me guess it would be turning the lunar soil, the lunar regolith, into a kind of cement or that they would probably 3D print. That's my guess. Very good guess. Very good guess. And yeah, 3D printing with regolith has been proposed for building other moon structures. This moon village that had been proposed in the last few years was maybe going to use 3D printing with sort of robots roaming. But that's close. What this is, it's a research project that the European Space Agency has set up. It's looking at whether we might want to build paved roadways, trackways on the moon for lunar rovers, because lunar dust is, well, what do you know about lunar dust? Give give us a couple of bullet points about lunar dust. Okay, two things about lunar dust. Lunar dust 101. Number one, it's very fine. And so it gets in absolutely everywhere it gets into the seals the airtight seals in spacesuits and stuff and whereas the apollo astronauts only had to contend with being on the moon for eight to twelve hours if you want to spend any amount of time on the moon you have to combat lunar dust and the way that it deteriorates the airtight seal 
And the way that they're talking about doing this is with an electrical field because lunar dust is magnetic and it it has a charge. No? no, 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 no it's magnetic. It's not magnetic. Forgive it's me. Just dust. I misunderstood that. Yeah, yeah, but the but way to repel it is to create a suit with an electrical charge which repels the dust. Right, and you're talking about spacesuits, specifically spacesuits yeah. here. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. spacesuit yeah. technology, yes. Those are the two things I know about lunar dust. Okay, well, related, as you say, very fine. As well as being very fine, it's very, very, very abrasive because all of this lunar dust is fragments of lunar rock that have been smashed up by meteorite impacts. And unlike sand on Earth, there's no weathering process on the moon, so all these very little tiny sharp shards of dust never get worn down and they stay these tiny tiny very sharp shards forever and it's very bad for everything it's bad for the machinery that it gets into it's bad for the radiators that it gets on and stops them cooling as well it's bad for the space suits that it uh, gets on and all the joints that it gets into so you don't want anywhere near your machinery and if you are running rovers over the lunar surface you're kicking up dust all the time and the dust is getting everywhere so in order to make operating vehicles on the moon in order to make it easier more practical in order to prevent a lot of maintenance problems with vehicles and with equipment that's on them the proposal is that we kind of melt lunar regolith into tiles so you just you know you you Get some lunar dust and get a powerful laser or concentrated sunlight and you melt a shape that you can then tile and tessellate when you've got loads and loads of these of these shapes. Uh, you melt it into a basically a kind of glass. You know, it's... Um, ah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like, and, and this is actually how some additive printing, you know, 3D printing works. You have a bed of powder, metal powder, and you use a laser to sinter bits of that metal and then leave the rest of its powder, and layer by layer you build up a solid object. Good use of the word sinter, by the way, Zog. Thank you. And this is the same, except you're doing it on just one layer, and you just take a big, big, powerful laser, or a big, concentrated little bit of sunlight, and you kind of melt a little shape in the regolith, and then you take that, and that's one tile, and then you melt another. So there you go, roads on the moon. If you're driving your lunar rover on your tiled surface, you are not kicking up dust, Everything lasts longer. Everything works better. There you go. You, you heard it here first. Zog, I love that because, as you know, twice in the history of Gareth Jones on Speed, I've written songs about Grand Prix on the moon. And the first one was about yes. the, uh, the the Lunar Grand Prix, which happened with uh, Apollo 16, where John Young was seen bouncing the lunar rover around at about 11 miles per hour, which is quite speed on the moon. And then the second was called A Race in Outer Space, where I thought, yeah, we could have a Formula E race on the moon. Electrical cars don't need air to breathe. Mm. That could happen. And Zog, I'm very pleased that we are closing this show with the possibility <laughs> that my ridiculous idea, because if we can build roads on the moon, we can build a track, we can have a Lunar Grand Prix. Hooray! <laughs> Listen, i got to go. So. i, I got to go. Very I don't know if you good. heard, but Seamus, the new Gareth Jones on Speed cat, has been mewing away here and needs feeding. And I've got to get on and edit this show. But for now, Zog, thank you. Always a pleasure. And Sarah, thank you. Thank you. See you for the next episode of On Speed in a couple of weeks, you guys. See you. So long. Bye, bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones On Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Yeah!
Derek, don't, don't speak! 